Patrick, fantastic to hear this great news. Um, tell us about the, the live publication. What are the um, primary, the new ground that we now understand about vitamin C in critical care in particular? Okay, well, I mean, just to recap, we already knew that all the evidence pointed to vitamin C being incredibly effective for COVID. And the first study that came out in China, Wuhan, showed a 70% decreased mortality in intensive care units for the critically ill patients, which was actually twice as good as steroids. But the counter argument was we don't have enough proper studies on vitamin C specifically for COVID patients, which of course took a while uh, because those studies had to be set up. Well, we now have 12. So this is a review done by myself and Associate Professor Anitra Carr uh, from the um, uh, 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 the unit at uh, University of Otago in New Zealand, and also Dr. Marcella Vizkai-Chippi, who's the head of research at Chelsea and Westminster Foundation, so actually running intensive care units and in the Faculty of Medicine at Imperial. Five randomized controlled trials, seven what we call um, observational uh, prospective cohort studies. And the results are very consistent. I mean, uh, all studies work, uh, but what, what emerges here? I mean, one of the studies is on early treatment, outpatients. In other words, when you get sick. And most are on the use in intensive care uh, via an intravenous vitamin C dose. Uh, they all work. So the overall summary is that uh, vitamin C reduces mortality, less deaths, less days in hospitals, better oxygenation, and reduction in inflammation, which, of course, is fantastic. It's exactly what we want to hear. Uh, what's also pretty apparent is that the dose make a difference. So the best results were in higher doses. Uh, so, you know, now we know there's something going on. We have to find out what exactly is the dose that produces the best result. So no one can really now say that there isn't evidence for vitamin C actually in treating COVID. There is, and it's consistent. So that's brilliant news. Patrick, does that mean that we're going to see Dr. Vizga Chippy sitting next to Chris Whitty in the next uh, news roundup that he offers well, the nation? Uh, that would be very useful. I think we do have to sort of split these two territories, what gets done for actual critical treatment. And of course, what that means is less deaths. So we're seeing numbers about hospitalizations going up, but the deaths aren't. So intensive care unit deaths are very flat, uh, even, even the uh, somewhat... Uh, nebulous 28 days, you know, death on a PCR test within 28 days is reasonably flat. So in other words, if we can save people's lives, which is what we want, we should be changing intensive care policy. What Dr. Marcella Vizcachippi says is that uh, testing vitamin C levels, among other things like electrolytes, should be standard policy. It's very simple. And of course, it's very simple to do because we've been supplying intensive care units with urine vitamin C sticks. I mean, literally, uh, the patient comes in unwell, you take a urine sample, you dip the stick in, and it immediately tells you their vitamin C status, and then you can dose accordingly. Uh, because the most conventional basis is if someone is deficient in vitamin C, you give as much for them to be sufficient. And uh, what uh, Dr. Marcella Vizcachippi has found is that you often need six grams. One gram is 20 oranges. So, you know, this is not about eating lots of oranges. This is something specific. And also the intravenous dose is getting it straight into the bloodstream. So that's, you know, on an oral basis, that would be much higher. But when someone's critically ill, they can't necessarily be digesting everything and swallowing lots of pills. 
So let's look at, say, um, the, the uh, Dr. Vizca Chippi's own unit. Is mm -hmm. she using now vitamin C routinely with, with every single critical patient with COVID? Um, yes. And uh, originally she was using a, a lower dose and then started to test. And uh, on testing found that she needed to use a larger dose, which is what's been found. In this, uh, in this review of 12 studies, what's very clear is about 80% of COVID patients have critically low vitamin C status. So even if we don't talk about, you know, some, I mean, vitamin C is amazing because it's both an antioxidant and what you've got here is a real mess up of oxygen. We hear about, you know, clotting and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's also a, uh, it's an antiviral agent and it's an anti-inflammatory. So it's kind of three defenders all in one with absolute zero you know, toxicity, no safety we, we, issues. We've got, and we've got quite a different pattern now emerging with, with the Delta variant. Um, and obviously we're seeing um, you know, significant immune escape and people yeah. who are double jabbed, falling sick. Um, this would be the time really to start bolstering the arsenal. Um, the, the, the trouble that vitamin C has always had is its lack of patent status. But do you mm. think now with um, when, when health authorities have their back against the wall because they're seeing now so many infections amongst those who are already double jabbed, it actually is the first time we see a significant opportunity for them to take it seriously? Well, of course they should. I mean, you have places like Uttar Pradesh, which have been sending people who test positive a kit with vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc. And by the way, I've had that confirmed with doctors in Uttar Pradesh who've taken pictures of the kit. Uh, they've only got 14% of people vaccinated. So, you know, it's not an either or. You, you, you know, you can do both. Uh, so there's, there's kind of, you know, it's all there. There's absolutely no reason to, and it's very cheap and it's very safe. That's really important. Every single one of these studies found not one safety issue at all. And uh, Chelsea and Westminster Foundation also have reported not one safety issue at all. And remember, we're, you know, we're going to sort of hit this winter with about you know, close to 2,000 yellow card deaths reported. Yeah. And no one in their right mind can assume that absolutely every single one of those deaths had nothing to do with the vaccine. So if we had one death from vitamin C, you know, you can guarantee the thing would be banned. So we're looking at one of the safest possible medicines, really, really cheap, loads of evidence. Now, the excuse that's going to be given um, is, oh, we need a larger scaled trial. And the interesting thing is, you know, on the medicine front, we've got uh, for actual treatment of serious disease. We have NICE, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, with its rapid C19 group who are there to find safe and effective treatments rapidly. And over on the sort of prevention side, we've got Public Health England, uh, backed up by their Scientific Advisory Committee of Nutrition. Now, in September last year, Rapid C19 listed all the studies that have just come out. And they, they listed the clear, obvious, beneficial role of vitamin C, waiting to see the studies. And uh, then despite sort of uh, fudging the issue, we've now found under the Freedom of Information Act that they have not reviewed vitamin C since last September. And not only that, from Freedom of Information Act on Public Health England, they told Public Health England and SACN to not review vitamin C because they are. And they've now confirmed that they have not reviewed vitamin C. So basically, they've listed all the evidence, totally ignored it. And then the big excuse that, that you'll hear again and again is that um, the UK were part of a REMAP-CAP study, 
where certain ICUs can sign up to what I think is an unethical trial where uh, patients are either put on placebo or vitamin C and they say, oh yes, we're running the Remapcap study. Well, we've now confirmed that not one single person has entered the Remapcap study. Why? Because they say there's no vitamin C available, which of course is a complete excuse. So this kind of kicking it down the line into, oh yes, we need one more big randomized placebo controlled trial. And, and let me point out here that if you have a trial of 10 people on vitamin C and 10 on placebo and 10 die on the placebo and only one die on vitamin C, you don't need a large scale trial because the statistics show that the effect is, you know, is, is statistically yeah. significant. And that's what we've got in these small trials. Why are they small? Because nobody wants to fund vitamin C because there's no money to be made in it. Now, this review has just come out. It's been published uh, in the Telegraph and in the Spectator. So the pressure is really on now. And we urge everyone to write to their MP. And we've got a model letter. And uh, they will send this it is, to... If you can just clarify, this is yeah. through the vitamin C for COVID uh, campaign. Yeah. Ab absolutely. And we'll give you, we'll give you the link. And they'll contact whoever it is, like Sajid Javid, uh, you know, to say what's the story. And he's got his uh, Public Health England and nice, you know, background. We've written to all of them. So there's no squirming and saying, oh, yes, we're waiting for this trial that we're not doing and don't intend to do and wish to avoid. I've, I've reached the point finally where it's very obvious to me there is a purposeful block um, on vitamin C and I'm sure vitamin D as well. Well, Patrick, obviously, a lot of people, as a result of that, don't necessarily want to find themselves in hospital because they know they're yeah. not going to get the optimum treatment. Yes. Now, let's flip back with, with everything that's known about yeah. the and this, this extremely high propensity for, for people to move towards um, scurvy in the middle of severe mm -hmm. infection. Yeah. So what, what can we learn? The average person is not necessarily going to be able to... Um, yeah, no. What do you do? What do you do? And the answer will provide some support yeah. if it's if you have oh, enough of it. Massive support. And you know, Dr. Linus Pauling, my teacher, twice Nobel Prize winner, 48 PhDs, made it very clear in the 70s that if you take something up to one gram an hour upon any cold or flu symptoms, because of course you're not going to know whether it's COVID or not, it could be, you know, the northern flu or whatever it is, um, then you know, in most cases, you're free of all symptoms within 24 to 48 hours. And if you do get rid of the symptoms within that period of time, you don't get the massive amount of dead virus particles, which uh, and, the, and the continuous depletion of vitamin C, which then leads to the more serious stage, which usually occurs two weeks later. So yes. Now, what's interesting here is one of the studies that we reviewed, a randomized controlled trial, uh, was giving eight grams to outpatients. It's an American study. It was uh, first offered to a journal called Chest, and their peer reviewers uh, looked at the way they cheated on the statistics and it got rejected. That's the whole point of peer review. Ours is a peer reviewed study. So it was a real surprise to the peer reviewers to suddenly find it appears in the Journal of the Alternative, uh, not the Alternative, the American Medical Association with exactly the same errors. And when you look at it, it says no effect, no statistical effect, but you can see very clearly that the people on vitamin C had shorter infection than the people on placebo. But of course, it's even more devious than that, because in this context, people would report to outpatient saying, you know, I, I, I think I might have COVID, get tested, and then if tested positive, get added to the trial. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got symptoms on day one, I wouldn't be shooting off to outpatients. Day two, probably not. Day three, maybe. Day four, maybe. 
So you realize the people already probably four or five days into infection. And in this study, I contacted the authors and I said, you know, what, what was the delay? And they said, we have that information, but we're not willing to disclose it. So they got a 18% uh, reduction in the duration of infection on eight grams, giving too late. Because the critical issue is always have a pot of vitamin C or powder. And the second you get any symptoms, take a gram an hour or two grams every two hours. Uh, to be honest, that's what works. This was eight grams. I would go higher. What's the downside? Well, look, if you take too much, you get loose bowels. It's like a vindaloo. You know, it's not a big deal. And I think that is the key. Take too much. As, as we yeah. interact now with more and more doctors from the mainstream who are very concerned yeah. about problems through the World Council for Health, many of them are saying that they've had um, patients who, who essentially go on to treatment doses for prophylaxis. And of course, yeah. they, they reach that point of, of bowel tolerance and then they stop taking yeah. That's well, not just, very helpful. So they, they need to really understand that it's when symptoms start is yes. when the body's need for vitamin C massively increases. And it that's does. when they're going to have the, the, the dosage. Yeah. And when you, when you are under viral attack, you can take a phenomenally higher level before getting to what we call bowel tolerance. And uh, it actually takes the full absorption capacity of vitamin C in the, you know, in the duodenum. Um, uh, so it's only when you've kind of fully absorbed vitamin C does the excess, which goes into the digestive tract, create this um, sort of bowel tolerance type effect. But, you know, it's really not serious. I mean, you know, what is it? Nine in 10 people in Britain, you know, don't go to the loo every day, yeah. you know. So for many people, it, it's a benefit. It's really, you know, would you rather have no symptoms or would you rather have, you know, a little bit of loose bowels? It's not a big deal. And then what happens, of course, when you take vitamin C in this way, is that uh, when your symptoms go, you forget to take it. You can stop. It's very simple. I, I remember being uh, having a meeting with what used to be the um, the Irish Medical Board and uh, mm. now the HPRA. And um, one of their main concerns about the use of vitamin C is that people might take it beyond the, the point of bowel tolerance and it would reduce the amount of um, drugs if they were on prescription drugs their absorption of the, those prescription drugs may be uh, reduced. So it's interesting when people look for a, a reason. Well, I, I mean, it's a massive double standard. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know right now, uh, you know, this is the truth that people have had a vaccine and died within 20 minutes. Now, you know, is, is that an adverse effect or is going to the loo a little bit more frequently an adverse effect? I mean, it's, it's just a, a, a completely ridiculous double standard. And as has been shown in this, every single study using high dose vitamin C has not reported any safety issues whatsoever. And Dr. Marcella Vizcachippi has also reported in her intensive care units, not one single problem. So, um, Patrick, could you just sort of clarify years of experience for really children from, let's say, from, from 10 or 12 upwards, yeah, prevention yeah. doses, prevention, not treatment, prevention doses. And do you still recommend, I know with my own kids, mm. uh, they, they don't just take one, you know, one gram, they, they're taking it probably three to four times a day, even for prevention, but mm -hmm. we're actually only generally taking 500 milligrams. So we yeah. get maximum just for prevention. But if, if we could yeah. get your input there. Well, I think the, the first thing is the vitamin C is water soluble. It goes in and out of the body in six hours. So whatever you do, you want to do it at least twice a day. And, you know, three times would be better, but, you know, life's too short. You know, you have one with breakfast, one with lunch or one with dinner, and that gives you protection. And I mean, I actually take two grams a day. 
you know, one gram AM, one gram PM. And I haven't increased it in COVID times because I, I don't need to. If I get the first sign ever of a like tickling throat or blocked nose or something that, you know, is an early warning sort of clue, then I usually take two or three grams straight away to kind of up my blood level and then take that gram an hour or two grams every two hours. And, you know, very, very often these things just pass, you know, really quickly. I mean, within, you know, certainly within the 24 hours and you don't have to suffer. Now for kids, you might say a slightly lower dose. Uh, think of it like body weights. So if you've got an eight-year-old child, it might be 500 milligrams twice a day. There's no harm in taking more. Uh, you can use bowel tolerance as the sort of guidance uh, for anyone, including kids. But the most important thing is, uh, and this is really important, every single animal on the face of this planet makes vitamin C, except for very few, including primates, and they make an awful lot of it. I mean, they make several grams of it body weight equivalent. So all we are doing here, I mean, a gorilla will eat 4.5 grams. Most large primates are eating, you know, two to three grams. So if you supplement, you know, two grams, three grams, one gram, whatever, all you're doing really is mimicking evolution. That's all you're doing is mimicking. I've got mine that yeah. close to me. It's, yeah. it's right here. And, I've and, it, and it's no good having a glass of orange juice because 20 oranges is one gram. Yeah. Uh, a gorilla eats, you know, 4.5 grams, but all they're doing all day long is, yeah. is guzzling, you know, direct fresh fruit and, uh, you know, roots and leaves and all the rest of it. So it does, it does require supplementation. Patrick, thank you. Um, and also a huge thank you for the work that you've been doing and pulling these experts together, sticking with the program, sticking with vitamin C. It, it really is very, very important. And we, we've, we've got equivalent experts doing that with ivermectin mm -hmm. and vitamin D. And it's really this, this whole yes. show that's coming together now, particularly because we see such catastrophic um, and increasing vaccine failure. The, the fantastic thing about these sort of multifunctional nutrients is that they don't, they're not really that concerned about the variant that's coming along next week, next month. Um, it works across across the board. Yeah, um, I mean, what, one quick point to make there, of course, is if you take an mRNA spike protein, uh, introduce that into the body to get a, an antibody response, an immune response, it is specifically to that mRNA spike protein. Now, our natural immunity will, you know, check out a virus which has many components and, uh, you know, produce a antibody response to all sorts of different parts. Hmm. So the odds of getting a variant and, and the very specific mRNA vaccine not working so well is kind of obvious. But on the other hand, if you increase your vitamin C dose, uh, you're supporting your whole innate immune system, which is actually the first way that you fight off a virus even before you've learned any antibody response. So it's a much more sort of broad, multifaceted approach, much more sensible, much more logical, cheaper and safer. There's absolutely no excuse to not be doing this now. Patrick, thank you so much. The um, vitamin C for COVID campaign uh, links are below. Um, keep up the great work. Let, let's make sure that this actually finds its way into intensive care units obviously the more that people can share this information the more people using vitamin c particularly as we come into the winter um the better but patrick huge thank you for what you've been doing and we'll talk soon again and keep up the good work <laughs> thank you thank you thanks